Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. Welcome to the family. We chose this one. This is episode 328, the taking of Pelham 123 from 1974. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex. Life is messy. For whatever it throws at you, grab Kleenex. Well, shout out to Kleenex and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. With us today, returning guest, returning champion, winning hearts, minds, games, all sorts of things, the host of Out Now with Aaron Abe. It is Aaron Newarth. Hello, Aaron. Hi. It's uh, it's great to be here. I feel like I'm always a winner whenever I get to talk about this movie, so uh, I'm excited. That is so sweet to hear. This is a movie that I had never seen until this week, Joe. I think you had never seen either. Is that correct? I had never seen it, um, and I only learned that there was a remake from Rachel this week. She was like, oh, you're watching I Wanted to See That. And I was like, yeah, from 1974. She was like, not the one that I cared about. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I've seen those T-Mobile commercials. I knew who I want to see in this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There is a 1998 remake, too, which I know nothing about, but that also is out there. But, Aaron, this is a movie I think you had picked from a list of movies when I was like, hey, you know, we want to have you back this lab. Here's the list of movies you're doing. You picked this one, I believe, because this is like a, dare I say, one of your favorite movies? Not only is it one of my favorite movies, it's a movie where you ask people, like, you know, like, what are a list of, what are, like, the, what are, like, the, the like, perfect movies that exist mm-hmm. out there? And it's, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh. 2001, Lawrence of Arabia, stuff like that. I would wager to say this is a perfect film. <laughs> like, I, I have so much regard for this movie, and it's not like I'm some crazy person that's saying this. Like, there's a lot of people that really love this movie a lot, but I, yes, I really like this movie, and I don't think there is anything out of step with what it's doing. I want to see it again. I bought it. I have the beautiful Kino Lorber 4K right here. I'm going to uh-huh. position the camera like I'm a vlogger. Just like, look, I'm here. It's here. It's here. Um, so it. I was like, I want to, I want to, like, half of it. I'm just like, okay. Because the backstory, if you don't know, and if listeners don't know, this movie's come up like four times this lap. Because all lap long, we're watching movies from the 70s with dudes in rooms looking at analog boards. We're like, this is just like Pelham. I'm just like, don't say any more. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. I want to know, I want to experience this movie. And, God damn it, if this was another great example of dudes in the 70s looking at boards. I loved it. Aaron, Joey has been so excited about control rooms all lap. (sighs) Like, we've we've discovered a new almost fetish that he has, which is just (laughs) control rooms. Mm -hmm. So uh, anytime one comes up now, I know that this is going to be a movie for him. Oh, this is a hell of a control room movie for sure. Boy, boy, oh boy. Yet, in in spite of that, like, the way that I describe these movies, like, what I love about them, it's almost exactly describing Oppenheimer, a movie I did not like. But these movies, yes, yes, please. 70s Oppenheimer, sure. 2023 Oppenheimer, no thanks. Anyway... Uh, let's get let's do some backstory before we talk about this movie. So if you don't know, this is currently, as of right now, streaming on Max, formerly HBO Max. Four armed men hijack a New York City subway car and demand a ransom for the passengers. The city's police are faced with a conundrum. Even if it's paid, how could they get away? So this is directed by Joseph Sargent, who directed White Lightning with Burt Reynolds, and also, importantly, Jaws for the Revenge, written by oh. Peter Stone, who did the screenplay for Charade, and it was based on a novel by Morton Friedgood, produced by Gabriel Katzka and Edgar Sherrick, who, who produced The Heartbreak Kid, which is another really, really good movie, and shot by Owen Roisman, who did The Exorcist, The French Connection, and Network, so really kind of heavy wow. hitter. Okay cinematographer there budget of 3.8 million dollars no idea what the box office was because the only thing i can find about the box office is that it did really really well in new york toronto london and paris do you know what those four cities have in common subways, subways. they have subways the rest of the world was just like <laughs> i don't know what the fuck is going on yeah it's not it wasn't a huge hit at the time box office wise it, it it and we can talk about why when we get to i think like the trailer and stuff or even just like the the poster itself but yeah it wasn't a huge hit for its day well you know for like for a movie you're like okay a bunch of dudes high like armed gar like armed guys hijack a train there most of this movie is just standing around like on both sides and like i don't know how you got a trailer yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh 98% on rotten tomatoes 88% by the audience consensus breezy thrilling and quite funny the taking of pelham 123 sees walter Matthau and robert shaw pitted against each other in effortlessly high form and joe 
the most exciting thing for the first time in a handful of episodes, we got a crazy credit. Oh, yes. Aaron, Aaron do you know do about you crazy know... credits? Yeah, as in like the IMDb reference uh-huh. point? Yes. Do you know what it was meant to be and do you know what it has become? <laughs> no. What? <laughs> so it was meant to be like an airplane where they're like, worst boy, Adolf Hitler, just like dunking on like weird people. Instead, it's just IMDb being like, cars drive from left to right in the credits for Too Fast, Some, Too somebody, Furious. Somebody like describes what the credits look like uh-huh. in Word is usually what actually gets published there. Yet overwhelmingly, people love these Fucking crazy love you know, it. They love IMDb, it. They're like 300 like upvotes up, for every single like <laughs> Overwhelming. So we have one crazy credit. <laughs> okay. Although many of the scenes in this film were taken on transit property, the New York City Transit Authority is not responsible for plot, story, and characters portrayed. The authority did not render technical advice and assistance. Not only not a crazy credit, not even describing the credits. That might have been in the credits. I have no idea. I think and that was yet, probably like a side note in the credits. It's in the credits. It is actually. <laughs> and yet 15 people gave it a thumbs up and only one guy gave it a thumbs down. So people <laughs> love that crazy credits. <laughs> There's not a ton of trivia I have about this movie, but since the movie came out, no number six train has been scheduled to leave Pelham Bay Park Station at either 1.23 a.m. or p.m. by the New York City Transit Authority. This is a practice at least for many years until it was discontinued, but trains are still not scheduled to leave that station at either 1.23 a.m. or p.m. because the name, like, the, the taking the Pelham 123 is the Pelham train that leaves at 1.23, and so yes. they're just like, someone, some asshole is going to try to take the Pelham 123. We cannot have a train that is the Pelham 123. So even though it's like, it's not like Are we not beyond anymore, that, though? Come on. This is like an old movie now. I think that we've, we've, we've hey, crossed man, that Denzel bridge. Denzel modernized it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did have the remake. We just talked Rachel about it. Rachel is right. hungry for that remake. Yeah, she's going to go hijack the train. Uh, the composer for this film, David Shire, the mm-hmm. husband of, or then husband of Talia Shire, importantly to this podcast, is in Rad. She has okay. no other credits of note. Um, but he was asked to extend the end credits piece of score to allow for extra time or credits to be added in. Talia Shire was the one who suggested that he write an adaptation of the theme that reflected a more romantic New York to contrast the gritty sounds of the main score, and he adopted that approach in the extended passage. I just love that, like, Talia Shire out of nowhere just pops in the trivia, just like, here's an idea. He's like, cool, thanks, got it. (laughs) Nailed it. Awesome. Originally, New York refused to let the movie shoot on the actual subway because they thought they would, it would encourage people to commit such a crime. Uh, the producer was adamant that no other city's subway could be credibly used if they're shooting. If it's going to look like New York, it has to be New York. They finally, the city finally cooperated after the mayor intervened, but it required United Artists to buy anti-hijacking insurance at $75,000 and pay $275,000 just to use the subway. So, again, for a movie that cost under $4 million to make, that's a sizable chunk of just like, hey, if you want to shoot here, if you want to make it look good, pay us. Okay, so Manhattan's anti Hijacking insurance or mahi ahi, as some might call it. Ah, <laughs> is that a real thing? It is now. Cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, sushi, sushi, and insurance. That's mahi the New ahi. York way. Of course, sushi and insurance is pretty much hey, describes man. Manhattan in two words: slice of pizza, and you're golden. Yeah. So I mentioned before, this is directed by Joseph Sargent, but considered at one point for director was Steven Spielberg, which is... Interesting. Okay. Probably could have been good. Yeah. The patrol car that draw, that they that carries the money is a 1972 Plymouth Fury, which is the second Plymouth Fury, at least, to be in this podcast. Joe, do you have the other Plymouth Fury of note? Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to guess... Famous the... movie. Famous movie car. Uh, Aaron, no. do you know it? Uh No. It's a 1958 Plymouth Fury in another movie. Oh, uh, Two Lane Blacktop? No, that no. was uh, something else. What was it? Fuck. Uh, I don't no. know. What is it, Joey? This, the Fury is a very big hint. This is one angry car. Christine? Christine ah, is a Plymouth Fury. I'm like, I'm not a car guy, so it's like, you know, it really take me, it takes me a second sometimes. With the only reason I, I care at all is because of the theme of the podcast. Um, but other than that, I, I'm not a car guy either. And the only other trivia that I have is that Walter Matthau's son says the final shot, which we will talk about, is Matthau intimidating or uh, imitating. Anybody want to guess who he's imitating? Aaron, you might know. No, I have no idea. Aaron, do you know this? 
is it something goofy? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it like his son or something like that? Mm-mm. What is Charlie it? Charlie Chaplin. Walter Matthau. Oh, yeah, the Chaplin. kid. Yeah, that's why my that's just right. Like, Sarah, just like the mm-hmm. tramp. Yeah, the, the mm-hmm. end of the um, city lights. So let's talk about it. Joe, what did you think of the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3? I thought it was pretty good. I, I'm glad that I'm talking to two people. Well, Aaron, you know, professed his regard for it. Um, so I'm glad to talk about it with two people that have a good movie eye. Mm-hmm. And because I thought it was good, but like this wasn't like. But you, this wasn't like one that this isn't your favorite lap. No, definitely not. It was just like, but it was it was good. Like I would recommend it to other people. I would just be like, hmm, for me, this isn't my favoriteest movie. Did you like it enough to watch the remake with Denzel? I would. Yeah, I definitely would. Okay. Like enough that the like I would watch this again and watch the remake as well. Cool. Aaron, hit us with it. What do you love about this movie? Everything. Um, the the <laughs> I saw this movie a while ago when I first saw it, and I was like, "Wow!" I like I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect something to be like as accomplished as it was from this premise. I was like, "Okay, that sounds like a fun like hijacking premise," but yeah. like watching it, it just like every piece for me just comes together so well and in ways that feel perfect for being this kind of like you know proto action movie thing you know there's you know you could you could see this movie's inspired so many other like movies that have come since and you can Definitely. see like like die hard is a great example where it's a mm. this is a very much a proto action movie compared to something like that which is you know more in favor of having action sequences in addition to tension and what have you this is a movie where there isn't a lot of action. It's a lot of, like you said, it's control room scenes and people talking on walkie-talkie or phones and what have you, like communicating with each other. But it's able to bring so much tension out of it. And so much of that works because of the performances. We have Robert Shaw and everything, like doing mm-hmm. his thing on the one end. But on the other side, Walter Matthau, who is such a unique screen presence, but was like in his prime, he's in prime leading man mode right now. It works because he he's so grounded and real. And yet, there's a lot of humor in this movie that works to its advantage. This is not oh, a movie that would work so if it funny. didn't have the amount of like fun character work going on throughout this story. Um, so like that aspect certainly like helps bring together what I like so much about this thing, where it's this gritty thriller that happens to like have a good head on its shoulders and it feels grounded and it feels like it exists in a world that makes plausible sense as far as what's going on and why people are acting certain ways. And that comes down to every detail of it. That comes down to all the faces you're seeing. Everybody looks like a person that exists in real life. It's not a pretty movie. Um, The New York aspect, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. I've never been to New York. This is, this is a movie that is, often described as the uh, one of the quintessential New York films because of well, how I, I, much I will it's say digging very into quickly, what New York the, looks the, like. This movie is so much better because they just use actual New Yorkers. Like, they, they use New Yorkers in a way that no one does anymore. Like, yes. other than maybe the Safdie brothers, just, like, it's filled with just kind of, like, kind of asshole guys, but they're not being assholes. That's just, like, the way they are. It's just, like... And they're, like, just, prototypical New York. Like, mm-hmm. if you're on the subway, you're gonna see one of each of these characters. Like, they're just gonna exist. Every single guy in the control room is just, like, a New York guy, and they're all, like, kind of assholes to each other. And, like, the fact that they all, like, speak with the accent and are just short yep. with one another, but also, like, professional, like, get the job. It's just... Man, it's perfect. But yeah, keep going. Like a prototypical New York movie. All of those aspects, like that's like what, like the New Yorkness of this all. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it always feels impressive to me. There's such satisfaction that comes in every step of this movie as we learn more about this plan or we see more things happen. All of it leads to <laughs> some unconventional choices towards the end, which leads eventually to one of the greatest last shots in cinema. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. so many things here that I yeah. absolutely adore about this movie. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the remake a little, a little bit later on, perhaps, but I hate it. Is it, it the same story? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, yeah, because it's the same, it's based on the same it? book. And so it's, I mean, so it's, it's, it's less about recreating this movie and more about recreating that specific story. But like all the things that I'm praising here about this movie is, is lost. what's in is what is lost in the new remake, which sucks because I love Tony Scott. I'm such a big Tony Scott fan. It's my least favorite Tony Scott film, and it's oh. not hard 
like it has it has all of the ingredients. Like we'll talk about it. I can I can stop with the remake stuff for now because it it bums me out. As I watched it, I hadn't watched it since I saw it in theaters back in '09. So I watched it again this week just to see. It's like no, this still sucks. Oh. <laughs> this is still, <laughs> it wasn't me. Still bad. Is that '98 remake anything? Did you know about that or no? I I know there's a t it's a TV remake. Okay, and okay. I think Edward James Olmos is in it among other oh. people. Um, I have I've yet to see it. Um, I, I've heard that it's fine, that, that it does the job. But I mean, this is the movie. <laughs> like this is the one that gets the credit for good reason. Uh, Joe, did you recognize? Um, Aaron mentioned his name. Did you recognize Robert Shaw like kind of the main hijacker? Yes, I did. But what what do I know him from, Joey? He is from a genre defining horror film. Jaws. He's Quint. Yes, yeah, that Jaws. makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I the think Sting, that, if you've seen The Sting. Oh. Um, I think that Aaron nailed it with the um the New Yorking though, because I uh I don't often romanticize New York like a lot of people do. It's like their thing. They just like think about it, always want to go there, always want to think about it. And I think modern New York loses all of this amazing charm that they show in this movie. And like just like the signage and like you're right, like the people and all those things. But like the the setting of New York itself really, really sells me in this movie. And I did greatly enjoy that. I also can't believe that you didn't full out love a movie with George Costanza's dad in this movie. Oh, my God. I know. As soon as I saw as soon as I saw George Costanza's dad. This is the like kind of thing. If this movie was a bigger hit, I'd be like, "Let's see more movies with with Math Allen Stiller just do it, just do solving crimes." Yes, <laughs> like, yeah. like Aaron, you were talking about how funny it is. Like toward the end of the movie, where they're like, "She's moving," they're like, "Who's moving?" It's just like, what have we been talking about for the last ninety minutes? Like, only, there's only one thing we care about. They're just like, so like they were like the information. And the next guy's just like, "Oh, she's moving." They're like, "Who?" It's like, God damn! Like, but it's so like they're all so yes, earnest yeah. and like they're not trying to be assholes, but also it's just like the Jerry still like the effortless. Man, it's so good. So there's like the Car 54, Where Are You, which I'm not really super familiar with. I think it was a TV show that became a movie or whatever, something along those yeah. lines. But at one point in this movie, they just go, Pelham 123, where the fuck are you? Just like, they're just so yeah. just like, <laughs> again, just wonderful. There's some great swearing in this movie. There's like, they're like he's like, I don't know. He has like a Tourette's tirade at one point. One of the characters that he just like spits out like four curse words in a row in a weird combination. And I was like, love it. That's hilarious. You know, one thing that I really loved about this movie, you know, having having not seen it, and I think just being sort of like dealing with having to tolerate the way that new movies are made, where they're like, oh, there could be a sequel. What if we're taking the Pelham of one, two, four, or whatever? But like, so many people just die in this movie. They're just like, no, we're yep. gonna kill him. Like, there's just there doesn't yep. have to be. And then like at the end, when Robert Shaw like touches the third rail, just to, like kill himself. He's like, you got the death penalty. They're like, no, just prison for life. He's like, all right, cool. And he just kills him. I'm like, whoa, like, it's crazy. Just like, no, we're jumping. Yeah, if we're jumping way to the end like that, I mean, oh, my God. It's such a brilliant, like, like where you're at a point where it's like, where is this? If you're not seen it before, like, where is this going? Like, they're all leaving yes. the train now. Uh, uh, Mathau's there, who's like, he's, he, you know, he's like a cop, but like not a conventional cop by any means. He's like, you know, he's not John McClane. He's Walter Matthau wearing his hat. Right. Like yep. he's, he's he's walking down there with two with two deputies. Like, it's like, let's see what happens here. And just like they just stumble upon things like they just they just happen to find it after like the undercover guys already like, you know, well, they were like Shaw's already killed Hector Elizondo. Uh, the undercover cop killed. Uh, what's his face? Um, uh, Will Wilson from a Home Improvement, who you can see his face the whole time. Oh, uh, that's, that's who that is. That's by why the way. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's and Marty Balsam's got away, so now it's just like Shaw's there. It's like, what's this encounter gonna be? Like, it's their only scene together, and it's like, it's such a it's such a great bit where it's like it's not a fight, it's not a shootout, it's just two people talking for a bit. It's like. Oh, shame. And he murders himself. It's such yeah. a, like, what a way to go for a guy who you have nothing but, like, a, a, a general sense of his, like, personality based on how he's been acting for the past, you know, hour and a half or so. And that's it. He's gone. And we still have, like, 20 minutes of movie left. To do yes, we do. <laughs> and there's just one guy left. It's just like, all right, we got to find the one guy. Like, we have leads. We got to, like, work through, like, there's just, like, there's, like, a little, like, that's almost like journalism. I mean, it's cop work, but, like, it's almost like that. Like, it's process point, work. It's really exactly. It's, yeah. Which which I love. I also love the like the tactical like the like tactile like the money counting machines. They they give off like we want a million dollars. We want like in these kind of currencies like banded like this or whatever non sequential. And so they just like 
there's maybe like five minutes of this movie where people just counting money and like yes. banding money and then putting it in machines and like recounting the money. I'm because like, they have 26 minutes to get this like across I'm, New York? No, no fucking way. But they're spending so much of that time like just count. I'm just like, man, I love it. Like I just love the old yeah. time of like, like that kind of stuff still exists. But like, man, it's just good to, it's good to see that. I love seeing that kind of stuff. It, it's a lot of great because you're like, you're watching them like figure there's like a fucking it's a cop car going by as i'm talking okay. racing to the subway station i guess um it, it, it's such a fun thing to like just see the different like machinations needed to be pulled as far as how do we how do we solve this problem like that's yeah. so much of what this movie is it's like it's not exactly a disaster movie it's a hostage movie but mm-hmm. it has the same kind of like there's a thing coming at us that we can't seem to stop what do we do about that because that means i have to go to this guy i have to go to this guy i have to talk to the mayor i have to talk to this person we have to get the money we have to draw the money across town we have to like you have to all, all these different steps that are laid out which again it's not they're not action sequences it's just a matter of like how do you make the, how do you keep this tension going and, if, right. and that's why films like apollo 13 are so creative because that's a big control room movie and there's so little action on display and yet you have to find ways to make that creative this is a very good example of how do you how do you make this exciting throughout beyond you can't just focus on the bad guys in the train the whole time because that'll get old yeah you can't just focus on just walter Matthau like you know you know rambling his way through things so you have to involve the city of new york essentially and make that work and it's it's great for that so I like that the, the movie is basically like we're going to take an element of the plot out. Like the, the train is stopped for so much of the movie and the movie is just like, all right, they can't move the train unless one of them's on it. We know that one of them's not going to be on because they're not going to sacrifice one of these dudes for they to get away. And then the train starts moving again. You're like, oh, my. So like it reintroduces an element of action in a way that's exciting. And also that turns it into like the bullet train, Joe, where it's just like it was so much a, like the bullet train. It's yeah. just a, a, a speed, a recklessly speeding subway train speeding like at the risk of all of its passengers also i was like earlier in the movie when there's just like a bunch of japanese businessmen in the room just like looking at the walls i'm just like that's all oh, but he's train, like just right? shitting on them mm-hmm. the whole time because he's like they don't understand but i'm just like that's like because it, it, you, you you don't know i mean i guess you kind of assume that like they could be put that the train car itself could be put back into play and then when it actually finally does you're like oh right that could still be a thing so again just so good I, I like the one of my favorite favorite parts of this movie is when you guys were like talking about tension and stuff. It's like I think that the score fucking slaps in this movie. Like higher score is so good in this movie. It's so yeah. A good. lot of lists have this as like a top ten score of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. It it just like it makes you anxious at the right moments. It just like it's it's delivering a hundred percent. And it's got that that seventies kind of funkiness. Yep. To it all. Like so, it's just it's able to, and that's what Shire. That I mean, I love seen when david shire's name comes up on like movies i either haven't seen or i just forget that he did the score i'm like oh yeah oh here we go and that like i feel like an heir apparent to someone like like david holmes who does a lot of soderbergh movies where it's like yeah he's he, he knows how that 70s thing kind of goes where it just has a, a a nice kind of feel where you're like i'm in it i'm in the moment now that's what this movie gives you yeah it, yeah you're right and it, it nails the time period too right like mm-hmm. that's what it's also hitting because it's like yeah Awesome. David Shire has also done the conversation. Francis Ford Coppola was the the conversation. He did all the President's Men. He did Saturday Night Fever, and also more recently, much more recently, did Zodiac, which is a perfect another perfect movie. So, the guy's yeah. got good skills. Joe, what was it about this movie that like wasn't perfect for you, or like wasn't a movie that you like loved or whatever? Like, what what could have been better, or, other than just like not your kind of I, I don't know, but like what what about this like did you not like fall fully fall in love with? I think that because I think that this is another movie that's pretty subject to me of seeing all of the parts that were stolen from it in other films and then seeing this Mm. last, you know what I mean? Like, as Aaron said, like, it it being a prototype for all of these action movies and, like, and you definitely see that, like, there's so much of this movie was taken in bits and pieces of other movies and, and expanded upon in interesting ways that I think that that was part of it. Also generally like it's super dark, right? Like the movie's very, very dark for me. Like in terms of like heavy somber terms, like let not that much light, like contrast brightness. Like, you know, you're dealing in a dark subway station, which makes sense. But like, do you have a fancy new 4k Blu-ray from uh, Kino to to watch it on? Is that? No, I watched it on HBO max. So yeah. Crushing those blacks on there. Mm hmm. Joe, you're just, you're just like all those people that were complaining about Game of Thrones a couple years ago. It's like, well, <laughs> stop streaming it. 
Buy the blue. Yeah, yeah, no, no, like, yeah. Calibrate your TV color, <laughs> yeah. right? No, no, no. Just like, but we we don't see this level of like real realistic darkness in films anymore. They like cheated a little bit, right? Like to like bring up the contrast to see it better. So for me, I'm like most. I was like squinting sometimes, like what's going on here? Like what what is happening? And trying to like process it, and then that takes me out a little bit. So I mean, that's a me complaint, but nothing crazy. It seems it seems like the bigger thing is just like it's the whole like seeing the movie that everyone stole from or not stole from but like yeah stole from you know pays i respect to it yeah like i like this movie like and i definitely respect it but like i was just like oh yeah like i it, it's not like oh shit i need to force all of my friends to watch this immediately you know what i mean like do you you missed out not seeing this i mean i do think that there's a real a real kind of easy sell of this, and I think a reason why it works so well is that it's short, like it's an hour forty, right? Like it's yeah, not... it's breezy. Breezy was a good word. It's breezy, and it's I mean, it's fun. I mean, as you know, yeah. as tense yeah. as things are, and as sad as things are, as far as people you know die in this movie, like it's uh, Joe. That like it's like you're saying like okay, you wouldn't necessarily like say like all your friends you yeah, you like necessarily show it to. Them. It's like I I don't know. Like even if I even if you weren't like super high enough the way I am, I would still be like, I, I, would, I would still show it to your friends because maybe they will be. Maybe they would just appreciate the... You're right. Yeah, maybe it's just a me thing. It's it's not a hard movie to watch. It's not like this is a chore to be like, let's put on Taking a Pebble Amen. Three. Oh, no, like, not that. Like, it's a fun movie. Because I think, like, a lot of... Like, not not a lot of... You know, many 70s movies uh, don't age well just because they're 50 years old. But I think this one feels of a time, but also still manages to feel modern, which is, you know not easy to do I think you're right sort of it feels like modern the... for sure and i think it's because we, we have so much of it that was taken and placed in other places right yeah like, like what are the movies feel... i mean movies that we probably have, have covered already here but like other than like die hard like are there other things from this movie like oh i've seen this somewhere else or is it just sort of like a subconscious well reservoir dogs is a clear one i mean reservoir dogs colored color names we, t- we talked about it the bullet train mm-hmm. we just saw like that um and then you get stuff like speed right or like any, any of number these of things. die hard on a blank yes. movies call back to this movie as well to some degree i guess i shouldn't be surprised so like aaron all lap long this is our planes trains no automobiles lap and so we are tracking vehicles that are not cars and obviously this is a subway train so it's a, it's a different kind of thing but i was just like i wonder if this could be like other stuff and like other than the subway car there's you know police motorcycles and kind of the police truck van thing like the transport thing yes yes but other than that there's not really an, i don't know what i was really kind of hoping for but it's like pre-skateboard times but i did catch a bicycle in the subway okay so like very sure. early on a woman sure. is pushing a bicycle in the subway she's not riding it but she's just like walking it and yeah, I think that that's the only thing I got too, Joey. Besides, like the subway tracks, like it's like, it, it makes sense. But I'm just like, oh, it it's does. New York. Oh no, I got happen. a nice one. I got a special one. Ooh, when they wreck the police car and it flips, he hits like a pedaled uh, food cart. It's Ooh. like it's like a like he has like the container in front of him that you would like sell pretzels out of or something. I'm imagining in okay. New York. Yeah, and so he hits one of those. That was my last special vehicle. No, I think it's very cool. I also, you know, we were talking before about the like the this the stare at the end, like the Charlie Chaplin snare, the the sneeze, like just like the kind of inevitable ending. But I also love like another thing that I did not mind because you know it's going to play out exactly like this. But there's the one woman who is asleep the entire time the hijacking yes. is going right, and you're yes. like, oh, she's gonna wake up at the very end, and like as soon as like the e brake hits and like the train comes to a safe stop at the end, she's just like. Oh, we're here already. It's just like we like exactly. You know what exactly what it's going to be. And it oh yeah, because I think it's perfect. It just, it's, it's an old it's, fashioned it's, gag for sure. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. It was really. I, I like that too. I did. Speaking of crazy credits, I'm surprised those things aren't in there because they're all they don't have names. That, that she's like credited as like drunk woman or something like that. Like there's all a lot of the people on the on the train itself are credited as the things that they represented that movie. <laughs> Well, like what I like, you know, I just watched in theaters. It's, it's it'll be out on Netflix by the time this comes out. But the new Fincher movie, The Killer, and like every character in that movie doesn't have a name. It's just like they're the killer, the client, the this, the that, and like you don't need more because like names come and go, right? But just like oh, that guy's exactly. blue. Like I don't remember who blue was, but like I remember he's one of the guys. Oh, that's green. You know, it's just like one of the guys. Oh, the drunk. It's like yeah, okay, cool. It's how I name people in movies, anyways. Yeah, it's usually exactly. how I refer to them. <laughs> Aaron, other favorite moments or elements of this movie that we've not yet covered? Uh, we well, just talk about the the robbers in general. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, Robert, Robert Shaw's obviously, you know, he as Blue, the leader. He 
he's Robert Shaw. He's a very good actor. He's a, he's a, he he brings a level of menace here that I really appreciate. But the other ones are like I I like that they have especially at least three of them. Like Earl Hindman as um was he Brown? Uh, he he has the least to do by default. He's just like one of the guys that's helping out with this whole thing. But like Hector Elizondo is very against type in this, you know, but like, especially after this, he, you know, he's Gary Marshall's guy. He plays yeah. Like, he's like the guy who I basically like Joe, he's, you know, Gary Marshall, who we did new year's Eve on Zach attack, but who he did oh, like, yeah. you know, a number of enormous movies. Like as far as I know, and like, I know it's not true, but like, I always just think of like Hector Elizondo is only in Gary Marshall's movies. Like it's just his guy. And he's in all those <laughs> and sort of see him here, like in a major role. I'm like, Oh, huh. He did other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, he, he's in Gary Marshall movies, this movie, and Beverly Hills Cop 3. Those are his movies that he's in. Um, but, uh, I mean, he was a theater guy before this. And, like, even then, like, it's just, like this is, like, a weird, like, different kind of role for him because he's just an asshole. <laughs> he's a racist asshole who's, you know, the meanest of the bunch of them. Um, he He's one that will kill because he wants to as opposed to killing because of necessity like Robert Shaw would. And then, obviously, have Martin Balsam. As Green, Martin Balsam, who's an old character actor, he's in Twelve Angry Men, he's in Psycho. Like I love Marty Balsam. Like just seeing him pop up in something is like, well, this is going to be good no matter what. Um, he gets to have a level of fun here eventually. Like he's the guy that like he's the brains behind it all, as far as knowing the operations of the, sub- the subway and everything. Um, but like once you know he's on the train, he's doing what he needs to do. But once he's off the train, especially like just seeing the movie kind of pivot since you don't have Robert Shaw anymore and you have to like deal with him for a while. There's good stuff coming out of that as far as like seeing his crappy apartment, uh, which is like a very 70s New York apartment. Yes. Seeing, yeah. see, seeing the brief moment of joy he gets from having the money, seeing him then like sweat because they show up at his door. Like there's just a lot of good stuff there. Well, what I also think is like at, when they're at the apartment, like and it is like a dumpy, just cluttered, messy New York apartment. Walter Matthau says, hey, nice place. But like he doesn't seem like he's being an asshole, but it just seems like, hey, it's a nice place. But like. It's not. I mean, it is, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like it's a weird, yeah. like, all right. Yeah. I like George Costanza's dad lighting a cigarette off the stove. That's fucking top tier, too, man. That's just, like, so classic. That was very funny of him, like, having to shuffle back and forth. Like, Martin Balsam, like, going back and forth. Like, he sees the one pack of money. It's, like, shuffle back to, like, hide that. And he's just like, oh, you know, I'll just light it off the stove where all the other money is. He's like, oh, hold on. It's a little bit. It's just, like, he's yeah. doing, like, comedy in, a, in, like, with two comedic guys or guys who, you know, can do comedy that just aren't. And so it's a very funny, like, like, are you, are you personally, are you rooting for him to get caught there? Cause you know, he's going to get caught, but like, are you rooting for him to get away? Are you rooting for him to get caught or just like, you're just down for whatever. I think because of the murders, you have to root for him to get caught. Otherwise, like if they were like, if they would just like have hijacked the money, I like, hi, like held them hostage, got the money and then take off. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see him as a villain. You know what I mean? It's funny because the last time I was on here for one of these was Inside Man, if I'm not mistaken, mm. ah. and which is another movie that very much owes to this movie in terms of the way it's portraying New York sure. and the fact that it has a sense of humor about what's taking place. It's very indebted to this is one of the key movies that it's that Spike Lee was inspired by. But in that movie, you don't necessarily want Clive Owen to get caught because why? He's just doing this thing and he seems to have a, a righteous reason for doing so or what have you. And that, you know, for heist movies in general, that's what I always find interesting about heist, movies, especially when you're on the side of the heist people you know you you want them to get away with it this is not a movie where you're doing that this is a movie that you know you had yeah you had um robert shaw leading a pack of people that are essentially murderers like they they will do what they need to to get something done and because there's it. no underlying motive it's just like they want to get money. they want money yeah that's, that's the their, other thing that's... yeah there's no i i actually this is a good point i have this in my notes i really enjoy that they're just trying to get money and it's not like i'm trying to get money to save my sick kid like they're just criminals man yeah like they just they're just getting money they're just holding hostages and killing people which i'm like we don't get enough of that like there always has to be this like now this like uh, is he really good is he really bad and it's like no these guys are just bad my they boss just, slept with my wife him. and i'm gonna prove that he's an asshole by sh- exposing no. him on the job it's like no yep. we don't need like just like no you're just assholes who like want they're money just criminals. You're, you're good at doing this yeah. yep and and so uh walter matha you're definitely rooting for him but on top of all of that what's like they haven't necessarily cleared him, but they're like ready to move on to like the next place. Balsam like gets cocky and he's like, he starts like saying like, I should be, I should be coming down to your guys' place and tell you how to do your job here. Like as if like he has yes. like a reason to be indignant about things all of a sudden. And so it's like, it's putting even more in the position of we need Matha to catch this guy. It's just a matter of what's going to do him in. And there's different like red herrings there that are planted to make it seem like he could get up on this or that or whatnot. 
but it just goes for the perfect thing, which is, you know, uses its rule of three. We see him sneeze at the beginning of the movie, we see him mm-hmm. sneeze towards the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. and we see him sneeze right at the end of the movie, and it's a perfect final shot. And it's always Walter Matthau saying Gazoon tight, right? Because exactly. it's always like the same exact thing. Every and time. And it's, it's a distinctive um, sneeze and everything. You even get the sneezing from the mayor, too, which is just like cluing you in, right? Yeah, like the mayor, mayor being sick the whole time. The mayor is like, so good. The mayor, who, who's played by Lee Wallace, he looks like. You would think he looks like like a kind of an Ed Koch type figure, except Ed Koch isn't mayor for like another like nine years. So this is also Wait, like a movie he, that predicts the future. Was he the mayor <laughs> in Batman because he was mayor in this too? Like, is, did he did, like Tim Burton cast him as the mayor in Batman because he's already been the mayor of New York? Is he the mayor in Batman? Lee Wallace. He's the top. According to Letterboxd, he is. He plays mayor in Batman. He's also in okay. Clue, which is a great seventies movie. I don't know. Um, I, I, I love that. Like his wife is just like pay the money, just pay the money, just like just pay the money. He's like, why? Yeah, She's just like, do it. 12 votes. Just you're going to get 12 votes. He's like, that was a great mayor of Batman. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Huh. One thing that I wasn't sure, and like, it didn't really matter, but like the entire movie, like they're, you know, they're just like four dudes who are like all, they all kind of largely look the same hijacking the train. Right. And I'm like, are these fake mustaches or just seventies mustaches? (laughs) Like, I can't tell if this is like a character choice or if this is a disguise. And at the end, when they take the mustache, I'm like, okay, good but i was like this just might be 70s dudes and i wasn't it could sure. have been the glasses too they were mm-hmm. very 70s glasses and jackets and like the whole get up it was just like dudes in the 70s on the subway because i think like you know in terms of like what people remember like oh they all had mu- they had big mustaches and it's like well no yeah, right? yeah they're wearing yeah they're wearing disguises like they're they're disguises but to- i just wasn't sure like you know as a as a dumb person i was just like are they disguises or are they just like dudes in the 70s I don't you know, know. They're, they're, yeah they are wearing you know mustaches what have you they're still they're just still trying to look like people as opposed to like wearing heavy on mat you know they're not like inside man or, right. like which is masks and hoods and what have you which yeah. is we're also an elaborate purpose as well that said, I believe the book, like they are wearing masks. Like okay. that's the chance that's a change that they did make. That they, ah, they okay. were like they were like hiding their faces. This is more of a practical means of Well, because it's always scary in like in movies with hostages where like when they're not wearing a mask, like, oh, none of these people are gonna live, right? Because like yeah. if they see the face, like they're all gonna die. But like here it's just like, I don't know. They might get away. That's another thing too, speaking of kind of whether or not hostages make or not. I love that Robert Shaw is a person of a certain code. You know, mm. it's not, you know, as much as detail as you get out of him, he's a guy that you very much can trust what he's saying because he's he's a very exact kind of person. He established that pretty clear, clearly, where he's a guy that he's what he's saying is what he means. He's not there to deliberate. He's not there to negotiate. He's there to tell you this is the thing I need. This is what I wanted. And if you don't do this, I'm going to kill these people. I have no reason not to believe this man. I also have no reason to believe that he won't. Uh, that he'll not live up to his word either. He'll let these people go as long as you get me what he wants. And that is uh that's a pretty good kind of villain to have someone that yeah there's no is no nonsense in that kind of a way that 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 makes for an effective foil to someone like Walter Matthau who's you know a frumpier character that will you know play around and what have you take things seriously of course but like he you know he's it's a good counterbalance I like a movie where a cop is a cop and a criminal is a criminal. Like you can, you know, there's there's some nuance to to both, but it's just like no, this guy is just like there's nothing more to him. Like it's a very simple, straightforward. Like, you know, this guy has a code. He lives by the code, and like that's all you need to know. Like once you once you hear like him say one or two things, you're like okay, I have a read on this guy, and like the movie doesn't like mess with that in terms of like oh, but what if we? I bet you aren't expecting him to do blah blah blah. It's just like no, he just doesn't. Right? Nope. He just like he is. I do love is. that too. It is there's the straightforwardness of this movie is mm-hmm. beautiful. It is. Mm-hmm. It does have a nice straightforwardness in the characters and things like that. Agreed. And the, the fact that it's set in the 70s also provides limits. Obviously, they didn't know at the time they had limits because that's not the future. They don't know like cell phones or stuff like that. But there's there's things that you just can't get by that you could in today's time, which is partially why the remake is also not very good. We're like... Robert Shaw is clearly a very smart person that's figured everything out. However, when they have to transport the money across town, it takes them all the way to the very end of the line right before they have the money in the station for Walter Matthau to realize we can just tell them we have it. They don't know. <laughs> they're down there. <laughs> like they can't yeah, they're not going to see us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it's it's stuff like that that's like really it that's good that's good screenwriting. That's good or like even if it's in the original story. It's just good like it's good work as far as understanding your environment, your setting and like how to how to have these two guys like play off of each other. That's so good. Remake fucks that up completely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so talk about the remake. So like what does remake do that's I mean, is it is it like 
if if it weren't for this movie, would it still be bad? Or is it is it bad in comparison, or is it bad because it's it's just bad? Does that make sense? It's it's for both. No, for both reasons. Um, it's bad because yes, it's, it pales compared to the original. But it's bad because I think it's a bad movie. Okay. Um, I think it's it is it is during a run of Tony Scott's that I really enjoy because it's it's Man on Fire and Domino and Deja Vu three so films. It's, like, it's really, mid two thousands really like. with a lot of other Denzel. Yeah, with a lot of other, with some other Denzel. And then, like, and the thing is, like, after this, he does Unstoppable, a different train movie, which I think rules. I think that's one of his best movies. Is that also with Denzel? It's also with Denzel, yeah. Wow. He has has five Denzel movies, I believe, I'm not going to say. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, the remake, uh, for one thing, I think John Travolta is terrible in it. He he plays, everything's like reversed as far as the attitudes. Like, Robert Shaw is a very cool and collected person. John Travolta plays him as this this revved up guy that just got out of jail and he swears all the time and he has a handlebar mustache and goatee going and he's bald and he's very amped the whole time. And it's very, it's a lot of playing it very big, but not in a way that feels anything with any kind of depth to it. It's just like, he's just doing this to play a role very big. It's very hammy and it's not, enjoyable yeah. <laughs> to, to watch him by comparison the what i was mentioning about the the, the style at the time because you know it's, if you know tony scott's 2000s era it's very there's a lot of uh, heavy editing choices a lot of hand crank stuff going on a lot of blending of slow-mo and fast movement action at the same time it's very very stylized and that can work i named the three movies it works very well in this movie it it feels like he's doing it because he doesn't know how to do anything else for this, which is weird because it's a New York based hostage movie where we had one from 40 years ago at that 30 years ago at that point that perfectly knew how to use New York. And this one feels so more contained. It doesn't use the city in any way that feels all that good. It's a, it's a real misfortunate take on what could have been a re- like when they told when they told me Denzel Washington's going to start a remake of Telecombella one two three with Tony Scott directing? I'm like, sign me the fuck up right now. That sounds amazing. I'm there opening day, and I was, and it sucked. It was so disappointing to watch. Like, is there anything de- redeeming about it or no? Like Denzel's in the pocket because he's fucking Denzel Washington, the greatest actor. Right. <laughs> and he's he's great. Like he's doing. Like they give him more of a sad backstory. He's like just been found like taking a bribe, and now he's like been demoted down to being like an MTA guy and he has to like you know be ah. on the phone with John, John Travolta like it tries to add like and it's still only 100 minutes like it's still the same length which is impressive I guess it's not like a two and a half hour version of this story but it just and it has a it, it's a Tony Scott film so it has a great character actor cast it has James Gandolfini's the mayor yeah John I was, I was looking that up it. and I was like I think Joe's gonna like this movie more because he like, likes Denzel but he also likes Gandolfini Gandolfini likes Gandolfini but he like good. But look, look at his movies. He ha- he always gets like great casts in his films. He has a oh, great, like, yeah. like and, and and so it's like the stuff's there as far as the ingredient. Like all the ingredients are there to make this work. It, it's just like he doesn't bring out the New Yorkness of it, which seems essential to doing this movie. And the villain, I think John Travolta is just entirely wrong for what. At least like his choices he's making are entirely wrong for this movie. So it's just. it's just kind of this blah action thing. And even like the choices made in like how you, like we talked about the ending of this film, the 74 film where it's, it's very, you know, it, it takes different steps than you'd expect compared to a post diehard action movie where you'd have like big shootouts and all kinds of stuff like that. Yes. This movie has, this remake has several shootouts. It has several, it has a lot of the stuff that nowadays you would do in a movie like this. And it makes it more plain by comparison to the older days when you would take different sort of steps that are smarter choices or at least unconventional choices. This one doesn't subvert anything. It just gives you exactly the dollar store approach to what the story could be. And it sucks for that reason. Joe, I will tell you that a uh, frequent guest on the show, Garrett Smith, says, I like this more than I expected to, way more than I expected to. Almost every choice that initially rubbed me the wrong way, I came around by the end. So this movie or the remake? The remake, the remake. Oh, interesting. Garrett, I mean, Garrett, okay. like, almost almost every guest we've had on this show who's on Letterboxd loves the movie we just watched of this. But Garrett Okay, makes likes, sense. Yeah. I mean, he gave the original only three stars, or the, not the original, the remake three stars. He gave the original five stars. But, like, you know, for Garrett to say, like, you know, it's, it's better than I thought it was going to be. Like, you know, I do, I, I do think for both better and worse, Joe will like the remake more than this one. I, I don't know. I'm gonna give it a shot. I like not. I'm not pressing, but I, I would give it a shot. Like Rachel's intrigued by it. Like I said when I told her I was watching this, she was like, "Don't care. I'll watch the like. <laughs> we can watch the remake if if we want." Because much like, just like I think Aaron and you seem more disappointed 
that the movie didn't come together the way you wanted it. Like, I get you're saying you have. Well, it's, not, it's not a matter of the way I wanted it. It's a matter of if I'm what if if you're going to yes. if you if you want to mess around with what the movie is, that's fine with me. I do. I just want that to feel like identifiable in some way as. No, you sound disappointed. Like, like it has all the pieces that you want. Yeah, in okay, this yes. Thing. I was disappointed it, as far as it had the material to be a better movie. Yes. Yeah, like it's a recipe that like everything sounded good in it, and you taste it, and you're like, oh no, that's not what I wanted, right? Uh-huh. So like, I don't know. I'm gonna have to give it a shot and figure it out. Uh, but because the cast sounds great, like you're describing yeah. it, I'm sold with you. I'm with Aaron. I'm like, this sounds fucking awesome. Like this should be a great movie. I mean, it's so, all that you can say. Like, I don't know, like. Black Mass is a gangster movie of Johnny Depp and Benedict Cumberbatch and all these people, and it's like, well, yeah, that's not The Godfather. I mean, there's not, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, exactly. it's not hard for me to like discern, like, yeah, sure, you can have stuff, but it doesn't mean it's going to be automatically good or match up to other classics that know how to do this well. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's disheartening to hear <laughs> the idea of, uh, of someone being like, I don't, I don't want to watch this because what, it's from the seventies? Like, is that the sole reason? Like, it's not now. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Also, the thing, like, you know, I think we've – I have found in my own whatever, and I think also we have found on, on these podcasts is that, like, when a movie has a star-studded cast and you've never heard of it, there's a reason you've never heard of it. Because just like – Amen. Oh, yeah. It's not very good. Like, they're just like, oh, my God. Like, six of my favorite comedians are in this movie together. How have I never heard of it? It's like, oh, because it sucks. Like, it's not it's not <laughs> funny and it's not <laughs> yeah. good. It's like, oh, my God. Denzel was in the movie with Travolta and James Gandolfini and, like, it's a, it's a remake of a – yeah, but classic it's not, it's and not good but yeah you'd be surprised i mean nowadays that's more obvious because nowadays things are so much more accessible and there's marketing or what have you so somehow there's something slipped under your radar that involved a lot of big talents and you didn't realize it yeah that's probably the case because social media would have been all over that back in the day in you know 70s 80s earlier 60s what have you there's plenty of movies that I'm still discovering that like have certain people I really enjoy and I either wasn't aware of or just like had a, maybe a, the most marginal of understanding about. But it turns out like oh this is like a secret classic like and it was no actually, yeah like, I think I think it's definitely more favorite or what have you. It's the more modern thing like in like the str- especially in the stream the where there's just thing. where there's just yeah. more movies in general where it's like oh no there's a reason I've never heard of this movie like if you haven't if I haven't heard of a movie from like the sixties or seventies like I just figure like no one's ever brought it up to me. It's before. me like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. That that's where like I I roll my eyes at the various like screen rant articles that say like you'll never guess what Ryan Gosling hits big on Netflix right now, and it's like, well, yeah, because nobody fucking saw it in theaters and they didn't want to, but now it's easy <laughs> to stream and they're watching it. Doesn't mean they're liking it; just means it's passing time for them on Netflix. And also, you know what? I will guess because I've seen every goddamn Ryan Gosling movie. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Jody, even though any other thoughts about the taking of Pelham one two three, also the remake changes the numbers spelled out to just the numbers. You're just like, come on, guy. Wait, what? It, it changes it to one, two, three. Like the number the, one, number two, number three, instead of yeah. But that that also there's reasons for that. It. There's like reasons for that with like okay. SEO and stuff like that. Yeah, like, that's know, what so I was thinking like, too. Yeah. Makes sense. But Joe, other other thoughts, other notes? No, I think I cut all mine in. I think I think we're doing pretty good. Aaron, any other thoughts? I mean, you can talk about like the things that like date this movie to. I mean, obviously it's a '70s film, but like there is like casual racism taking place, let alone misogyny. Always, stuff, like, yeah. Where it's like. It's expected to a degree, but and even like even then, like the it goes two ways because on the one hand, like Hector Elizondo is an irredeemable character, so it's like okay, he wants to like pick on the black guy, whatever. Um, he gets his comeuppance regardless. But yeah, you do have like the Walter Matthau scene with the the, the like Asian businessman, which seems like a common trope in a lot of like seventies movies, especially when it comes oh, to yeah. comedies, where it's like, what default thing can we use to like point out differences or whatnot? It's like, well, we could have a team of Asian businessmen walk through here and make fun of that. And it's like, all right, like that's the kind of stuff you gotta like settle with. You know, even then, like they still make Walter Matthau look like the idiot they later on with that whole scenario. So it's like it's not stuff that like brings it down for me. In the same way that, like, other movies, there are things that are, like, change, not just change my perspective, but, like, just may, like, make it feel like less of a reason to, like, watch it more frequently. This movie doesn't really have that. It's just more stuff that I put in my notes as far as, yeah, there is a lot of, like, casual racism going on in this film. Um, hey, man, that's just the 70s. That's the 70s in New York. No, whenever we watch these 70s movies, we're always like, yeah, there's there's a lot of casual racism, but then we're like, yeah, but like it doesn't feel as bad as like when we catch one from like the early 2000s. And we're like, God damn, still like Jesus, like can mm-hmm. we stop? 
I will just emphasize again, that's just the, the New York of it all. Like it's just it's seeing faces that just look like real people is like it's so like when I wa- I'm watching so many movies right now just because it's awards season, I'm seeing all these movies and it's refreshing when you see like a cast of people that look like people and not movie stars playing roles. Yeah, it, that's just a real refreshing kind of thing to see like happens in like, you know, how there's like something I don't know, there's something like. A different kind of texture to it that just feels sure. refreshing to watch. I have a question for you, Aaron. I I, I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie, because and when you said like you've never been to New York, it it reminded me of it. Were you always a California guy? Did you start there? Have you like been there the whole time? Just I am like... born and raised in Southern California. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I've, cool. been, I've been so many places around the world, but I've never gone to New York. I've been to no, Connecticut, totally but I haven't been to New York. <laughs> I just, and I certainly want to. I look forward to when I finally get there. And I, you know, I like to do things big. I like to go take the tours and see all the stuff because I find the cities like that fascinating. I did that. You know, it'd be more than a day to be like, let me see all of New York right now. But for some reason, I had a feeling you were going to come in and be like, I love this movie because it reminds me of New York. And like, that's where I started. And then like, I wound up in California. It's like, I, you could have told me either one of these and I would have been like, whoa, yeah, my, yeah, that's why I wear my, my big Apple t-shirt all the time. Just to re- Ex- represent. Yeah, I love, I heart New York. Of course. <laughs> I heart New York. There's a little rattle in one corner, a little pizza slice on the other. You got it down. He nailed it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's New York to a T. Yeah. You're always saying I'm walking here, right? That's just a constant refrain. Mm-hmm. Even when you're not even walking, you're just standing still. For sure. Pretty much. Yeah. You, you have to be pizza. angry. Walk. Yeah, angry walking is, is a real thing. All right, let's watch the trailer for this because I think you, Aaron, you mentioned it earlier in terms of like. Uh, I'm curious about it. it. I'm being... very, very curious. Yes. I will also say 1974 as a year, Godfather 2, California Split, Black Christmas, Chinatown, Taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, pa- Phantom of the Paradise, Phase 4, Parallax View, The Gambler. Like that's a, the conversation, Phantom of Liberty, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Crazy. Oh, yeah. The original there's no seven, there's, there's no 70s year where you'd be like, oh, that was a stinker. Like the 70s has so many hits <laughs> constantly throughout. It's ridiculous. So we're gonna watch a trailer, the taking of Pelham 123, official trailer number one, Walter Mathow movie 1974 HD, posted by Rotten Tomatoes Classic Trailers 11 years ago. Let me know when you're both ready. I'm ready. I'm ready when you are, bud. All right. Three, two, one, play. 1.23 p.m. A crowded subway train starts its run. It's pitch black at 1.23. Well, underground. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Daylight savings. Seize control of the train. Open the door or I'll blow your head off. Taking 17 people as hostages. Let's see, it's very focused on the seriousness. Which makes sense for an opening of a trailer, at least. There also there's like a, there's like a level of like almost like British. I mean, I know it's the accent, but like it's just like a, he's like I'm classing up a little bit. I'm a British guy, right? Like it's just like I'm gonna treat you right. I'm not, I'm hijacking you, but like I'm treating you right. He also enunciates. <laughs> yes, so that's key right there. did it sound like it? It honestly didn't sound like a British accent to me. And he keeps referencing. It. I was like, it doesn't sound British, but I guess it's not like North Atlantic either, like Cary Grant. It is. It's British, but yes, it's not like you know. Obviously, it's not Cockney. Obviously, exactly. Like, yeah. It's not Michael Caine British. <laughs> Nothing will happen as long as you obey my orders. Yeah, the thing is, it just doesn't emphasize the fact that this movie is very fun. Like, it's a bit, there's a lot of yeah. comedy in this it. This seems very serious, yeah. I don't want to know to police headquarters. I've got about 50 men inside the tunnel, all wearing vests. Like, even, like, seeing the mayor just then. The mayor is a comedic character in this right. movie. He is, sure. a, he is a cut-up. And it's just like, oh. the world's busiest subway system. Look at that beautiful control room, Joe. Oh, all those beiges. Don't get me started. <laughs> like every Walter Mathen line is just like plot. Like it's not. It's not. <laughs> yes, it's not you're the right. tone that he has for, for this movie. You'd be surprised what's physically possible. You do get some of the score though, so that's fun. How long does it take to get all that money together anyway? Uh oh. The cars are really cool in this movie, just because they're seventies cars. We'll never make it. The passengers are dead. I like that, like when they're transporting the money, the cop car flips, and the two cops are like upside down there with the bag of money. They just like take the bag of money out. They leave the cops, and they're just like, "We gotta keep going." Sorry, guys. Yeah. There's like load on the motorcycle and just drive off. Yeah. By the way, if, right. you, if you think Tony Scott wants to make a meal out of cop cars flipping in his movies, you're definitely right. He does. Oh, I'm sure he does. <laughs> 
All right, so the Letterbox game for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterbox, 1.6 million times logged. The Taking of Helm, oh. 1, 2, 3. 1974, directed by Joseph Sargent, starring Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, and Martin Balsam, has been seen by how many people? Joe, how many people do you think have seen this movie? I don't know. You guys all seem to love this, love this, love this, love this. You said everybody that we've had as a guest has rated it. I think this would be a letterbox darling. I'm going to start at 137,000. Okay, Aaron? I think Joe's right. It, I think this is kind of like a letterbox audience kind of favorite. So I, I'll go one higher. I'll say well, I'll do a clean one fifty. You are both too high. Got to go lower. Okay. Uh, I thought that this was going to be like a gem. Like you know, you have to factor in the year and stuff. But um, how about give me seventy eight thousand? Aaron, eighty five. Still too high. One more guess. What's your real? What's your oh. real first guess? A 50, 52, final guess, 52,000. Oh, 60. 53,911, almost 54. This rounds up on Letterboxd, rounds up to 54,000 people have logged this movie. Average rating of a four, highest rating of four, then a four and a half, then a three and a half, then a five. How many out of those 54,000 people have this in their top four favorite films of all time? Oh, I bet it's a big no. Um, give me 16. In their top four? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 21. You are both way too low. God. So, okay, so this is way disproportionate. Okay. Um. Well, you know, you keep in mind, like, the 10th yeah, of yeah, 1% yeah, yeah. should be 54. Like, that should be the threshold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 32. It's an old movie, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Like, I can't 32. imagine this sits there. I also said yeah. you're way too low. Oh, really? Like, okay, so give me 132. 200. You're both still too low. <laughs> well, this Damn makes it. Better. 325. Last guess. 450. 279. 279 people have this in the top four. That's a lot. That's a good amount. I follow and I'm followed by this guy, Giuseppe Z. So just like our own Giuseppe here. Ah. Did not review it, but Taking Helm 1, 2, 3 is in Giuseppe's top four favorite films of all time. The other three, two are 1980s classics, one of which we have covered on this podcast, one of which we could cover on this podcast. The other one is a movie that came out about 10 years ago that there's, I don't, there's, if Joe has heard of this movie, I would be stunned. 10 years ago? Ten, it came out in 2011, Aaron. Okay. I'm going to play a game with Aaron first because there's no way you've even That's heard fine. of That's fine. Do it, please. Came out 10 years ago. There is a Radiohead song off A Moon-Shaped Pool that basically has the same title as this movie. Um, It is a period piece starring a handful of, like, in terms of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they got all these people in the movie. I don't love this movie, but a lot of people really like this movie. Aaron, did you rate this movie? You gave it this movie four stars. <laughs> It's set in the bleak days of the Cold War from 2011. Stacked yeah. cast, 2011, a movie you really liked. Hmm. Has like no. five or six big actors. Big it's not, actors. It's not Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, is it? Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy from 2011. Ah. Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, Mark Strong, Benedict Cumberbatch. I Radio think I watched it when it was like an Oscar nom, but I don't remember. it's only four stars for me. <laughs> Radiohead gave it a call. It has a song called Tinker Taylor, Soldier, Sailor, Rich Man, Poor Man. Ah, okay. Joey's a big Radiohead guy. Beggar. So. Man. Yeah. Uh, thief. Spotify was scrolling the title very, very slowly. <laughs> okay. Thief. Okay. Such so is third favorite movie of all time. Top two, one of which we have covered on this podcast, one of which we could cover on this podcast, both from the 80s, both unequivocal five-star movies, both genre pictures. Okay. One of which we've covered, one of which we could cover. The one we could cover, or? we have yeah, uh, we were both brought guessing. up before. Yeah, yeah. We brought up before today? No, no, no. Like in a recent letterbox game, we've talked I gave, I gave the same clue. Is it like Blues Brothers and No, we Back covered the Blues Brothers. More more genre-y than that. 
I don't know. Give me some more, Joey. Come on. Both come on, come from on. the 80s, both genre, which means like pulpy. The Thing. The Thing, number one. Oh, fuck. Good job, bud. It's going to be the same clue every single time. An unequivocal classic we could cover because Kurt Russell's in it. And we yes, that's true. It. That's true. Another movie from the 80s, maybe pound for pound, the bloodiest movie we have covered on this podcast. The bloodiest 80s movie we covered. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, is it a, over the is top it a horror movie? No. Okay. Well, that narrows it's not things Jaws. Um, it's not. It's also days. the 70s. Uh, I know, but I just laughed at Jaws. Does it have, like, a big 80s action star? Does it have, like, a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone in it? Nope. No, but it's still very bloody. I would say Re-animator? this guy is. Say again? No, Re-animator? we didn't cover Reanimator. Nope. This guy is. Probably best known for this role, the title role. We covered it in our classic car Robo-cop? movies. Because there is a oh. Robocop. Robocop. Robo- gotcha. There we go. Cool, 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 cool. The thing, cool. Robocop, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and The Taking of Pelham. One, two, three. If I'm on a desert island with those four movies, pretty good. It's pretty good. solid. It's good four. Good four. Yeah, not too bad. I like that. Aaron, have we talked about what, what your top four is? Let me take a look at yours really quick. I feel like maybe we did last time. I don't remember. Well, we have maybe. the aforementioned... Jaws. Yes. We, we talked got... about it maybe when I was on Aaron's episode, like on Out and Out with Aaron and Abe or something, maybe. So mm-hmm. I'm generally talking about my top four, so I don't, I don't think I've had this conversation. Aaron, do you oh, know your weird. top four without looking? Yeah, it's Jaws, Jackie Brown, City of God, and I think Empire is on there yep. right now. Not in that order, but those are the four, yes. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna change it next year because I feel like that's fun to do, um, but I oh. haven't done that before. Um, change it every it's... year? Yeah, or every, I don't know, I was thinking about tinkering with that, maybe like every six months or something, just like mix it up, because why not? I have a whole Tinkering, tailoring, soldiering, spying. (laughs) No, I love it. I also love that, you know, Aaron and I both are patrons, we support Letterboxd, we pay for the privilege of using the free service, but that lets us use the custom covers and the custom posters, and Aaron, you take advantage in a way that, you know, not more people should. Love it's it. If I'm gonna if I gotta pay for Letterbox, I might as well use the features. Yeah, and that's seriously. the best one. Like, yeah, seriously. I'm gonna change all. I'm gonna change every single poster I can. Mm-hmm. I change posts on movies I haven't seen yet. Do you? <laughs> so, so right. here's a question for you. I want. I want to know if if you see a movie like I saw Priscilla last night, uh-huh. and I, I I don't love any of the posters. Like, I think I like the default poster more. But like, will you change just to change it, or if you like the default poster more? I never, I never like the default poster because I don't like removing text. It doesn't make it feel like a poster to me anymore. I like choosing the poster that, that at the very least have text on them. So it has like mm. the, the credits on the bottom or, you know, the stuff on the top or whatever, the taglines or whatever. Gotcha. The default posters tend to be strip away, you know, Photoshop every single thing out. So it's just like the main image, which is fine for whoever. But like I, I if I'm looking at a movie poster, I want to look at a movie poster, not just a piece of art. So Gotcha. Makes okay. sense. Fair yeah, enough. that makes a ton of sense. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the pet, the taking thank you, of brother. Pelham one, two, three. Um, what do you have going on? What would you like to plug out now, Aaron and Abe? What are you doing? What's going on over there? Uh, yeah, the podcast is out now with Aaron and Abe, um, where you can find you can find it anywhere you can find podcasts. My co-host Abe and I talk about weekly movie releases, which is super fun. We also, because we're in the midst of award season, uh, we're going to have a lot of bonus episodes coming up. You mentioned the killer. We have a killer episode coming up pretty shortly. Um, cool. we, we just got through October. We had a mountain of horror themed episodes. It was so much fun to do. Very, it's a very ambitious schedule that we somehow got through, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, we have commentary tracks every month as well. And, and you guys have also been on the show on various occasions as well. And it's always been great. Um, but yeah, it's a really fun time uh, talking about movies. Sweet. Um, yeah. And that I, I write for Weed of Entertainment for my movie reviews. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Still have not upgraded the PS5 yet, though. I have it. He has a PS5. But I know you have it, but you still haven't name. changed your handle. You haven't, you've not slid over into those DMs. I, I, I just I I have the handles so I could use them if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like the sound of Aaron's PS4, so I'm okay. sticking with it. I do too. It has good mouthfeel. I agree. Uh, yeah. Joe, our next episode next week is okay. I need I need to preface this by saying in real life this is not true. As we're recording, it's not true. But as this comes out, next week is Thanksgiving. So okay. our Planes, Trains, But No Automobiles lap is taking a real swerve to cover Planes, Trains, and Automobiles next week. <laughs> because it's th- I'm it's very a th- excited. It's a Thanksgiving movie. 
and we're covering it for Thanksgiving week. So that'll be out on Tuesday, the 21st. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Of course, our patrons will get it early because they get everything early. They're going to get bonus episodes this month. But shout out to them. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleiman, and Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Ooh. Party. Wes Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden Renato, D. Donato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sports. We got Nate back on the podcast. We haven't had Nate on in a while. Jason True. Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, Josh Buckley, a whole lot of wolves. Yep. Michael Moser, Christian Larson, Tara New One, Aaron Willows, and Natalie Absolute, Randy Carter, and Jessica Collins, aka Mon Tez. Thank you all for supporting us the $5 a month level or above. Bonus episodes coming your way very soon. Early access to every episode, undying love and affection, swag and merchandise, all at Too Fast, TooForever.com. And for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, anywhere else, threads. Yes, yes, threads. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at Too Fast, Too Forever.com and our store at cageclub.me slash shop. And come back next week for planes, trains, and automobiles. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And that was Aaron Newworth of Out Now with Aaron Abe. And we will tell you all about it when we see you again.